I'm Andrew Swain and welcome to the Rugby Hive. We played against Jacksonville and, and so it was a Wednesday night, there wasn't too many people around and I scored a try and the rule was if you scored the try you had to convert your own try and I was a terrible kicker, like one of the worst. I could not kick off the tee, still cannot to this day. I scored the try, walking back and my dad is sitting on the hill just behind me and I can hear him talking to the person next to him, next to him and he says, Oh, watch this, this is gonna be funny. He cannot kick to save his life. And and so I'm walking back with the ball under my arm and I didn't want that, I was like, I just waved the tee away. I was like, nah, I'm not even gonna try. Kick it off the tee. Drop kicked it from about um, 10 in from the sideline, just past the 22, flushed it down the middle over the black dot. And I've walked back to my dad, I've run, I've turned around to my dad and gone, see you later, son, yes given him one of these ones in the uh, in the face and he was he was laughing his head off. It was uh, it was a very it's so dangerous Freddy Krueger has nightmares about him. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Hive. I'm Dan in Stanford and despite my South African accent, I was fortunate enough to play rugby for the United States on the Sevens World Series. And I'm Robin McDowell, a former Canadian Sevens international. Back in my playing days I went head to head against Dallin and the USA. For several years, Robin has coached international sevens for various countries, including Canada and Mexico. He's massively passionate about growing the game across the Americas through his McDool rugby programs at all levels. I'm currently a commentator for World Rugby, most recently broadcasting the Rugby World Cup in Japan, as well as the amazing Sevens World Series. More than a decade later, we are teaming up to bring you insights from legendary players and coaches from around the world. All legends have a story. The Rugby Hive podcast is here to share it. Welcome to the Hive. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 29 of the Rugby Hive Podcast, brought to you by Wintergreen, who produce a complete range of products containing Wintergreen oil, other therapeutic natural actives to aid athletes before, during, and after training. I've been using their products all year. Helps me get around, around park cars like in back in the day. Visit the legends at wintergreensport.com, also a proud partner of USA Rugby and Major League Rugby. So great to have them on board. Well, 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 ladies and gentlemen, can you believe December is almost done? 2021 is almost shutting the gates. A ton has happened this year. More recently, some international 10s for Robin and the HSBC 7s World Series for me in Dubai. And Rob, we almost got to meet up in the desert, but it wasn't to be. So close. Uh, obviously, the global pandemic caught up with us. But uh, after two months of being on the road, uh, I, I welcomed the trip home to recover and get back coaching with the kids here on the island. Well, we almost had you, Ben Gollings, and myself all in the same place. Gasparino was was going absolutely mental trying to make sure <laughs> that she, she could get in the reunion, but we'll make sure we do it again soon. Who knows? Vancouver Sevens is around the corner as well, which is always a lot easier. Let's talk a bit more about our Rugby High Partners first, World Rugby Shop. They've been amazing for us. 45 products that they have at the merch store. Go to worldrugbyshop.com, type in Rugby Hive. I must say my Mrs. Verity has been getting plenty of compliments wherever she wears the rugby gear. I get a couple, but not, not of course, as many as, as she does. Next up, Gilbert Rugby Canada. And Robin, we even featured in their holiday advertising, weren't we? Yeah, with Christmas around the corner, our high ball is picking up some steam. And you can pick it up at gilbertrugby.com, as well as on the World Rugby Shop. Our ball's available across North America. Now, what about Biltong? I've been very jealous because my Biltong got <laughs> sent to me from Canada. It got incinerated at the border, so I still haven't tried it yet. Yeah, I've been spoiled this fall, that's for sure. It was... It was uh, the number one thing I packed when I went fishing on the ocean this, this summer as well, and our freezer's full, and I bumped into uh, 
Uh, Paul Bennett, the owner and uh, and producer of, of Built on Canada, his son, uh, very talented son, Matt Bennett, that I think we spoke about in the past, but it, he's got South African blood like you. And uh, he he helped uh, James Bay win uh, U-17 Surrey Island final yesterday. He was carving it up and they gave uh, gave me a nice little rugby high Built on Canada uh, package and just to rub it in uh, on your side. Oh man, okay. I can't wait to try it when I when I finally get over the border again. I also want to thank Enduro Sports. Uh, we've been using their products for about two months now. I love the stuff. A daily serving of Enduro Sport pre-action equips your body for a spontaneous adventure, designed to support your overall health and provide you with a boost you need to get through the day with energy to spare. You can get forty percent off Enduro Sport. Link in the podcast notes and on socials as well. Their website being endurosportofficial.com. All right, cracking on. What's happening in the world? Uh, let's start with you, Rob, the Canadian or a nice guy. What have you been up to the last couple of months since we last spoke? I think we last spoke. Uh, I don't know if I was before I'd gone to Trinidad and Tobago. It's, it's been a country that I've been definitely uh, motivated to, to work with since I started coaching against them almost a decade ago. Although when I was with Mexico, we were able to get get on top of them. Uh, they they boast so much talent. And so uh, Life University men's head coach, Colton Cariaga, uh, we, I took him down there with me and we had the best time. We were spoiled by uh, the TTRU president, Maria Thomas. Uh, we had uh, coaching courses, developing, uh, like, a, you know, helping them with their restart plan across the islands. Um, but honestly, the people were so welcoming. The food was amazing. It felt like carnival every day. And then uh, the the Saturday before we went home on the Sunday, they took us to Tobago. And Trinidad is amazing. Tobago is like another level. I'm talking paradise. Uh, the beaches were amazing. The hospitality, the barbecue, but the talent, which is really why I went there. I've never seen anywhere with so much talent. For me, it's it's at the Trinidad and Tobago. If those that don't know where it is, it's the very southern tip of the Caribbean, just off uh, South America. So it's a good two-day haul for me to get there. But boy, was it worth it, Dallin. And uh, they were all about three times the size of me and, of course, 100 times faster. So far as a coach, like I, I don't think I've ever worked with that many talented athletes uh, in such a small area and, and really excited to continue our partnership with, uh, with Trinidad and Tobago, Maria Thomas, and, and all those wonderful coaches and faces, uh, South uh, Atlantic, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, we need to get another tournament there because the RAN event, Rugby America's North, of course, they do a bunch of sevens and they even had uh, tens on the go as well. So great. Wherever they go around the world, uh, my hand is up, my friend, ready to broadcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Actually, we're talking about getting a, a tournament, a couple tournaments this year in, in Tobago. I mean, what a destination. And then, uh, of course, my missus and I uh, finally got our honeymoon off in uh, lovely uh, Lagos, uh, Portugal, in the Algarve. She had us lined up downtown and we went to the beaches every day. It was a bit, bit crisp. The, the, the air was cold, but it was a heck of a nicer than when you, the, sorry, than where you and I are living right now. We had a wonderful time there. And then of course, uh, like a good rugby wife, we blended right into the, uh, the launch of the rugby tens championship in, in Lisbon. And uh, that was an amazing experience. And again, as a coach, for me, I love working with people from around the world, uh, but I was fortunate enough to coach 16 talented women from 11 different countries. And there were seven different languages, Dallin. It was absolutely amazing. I was a lot of work that week, but uh, I had I had Canadian legend, Andrea Burke, uh, who I know you've been on the hot mic with before. Uh, so having her, uh, she was my first pick and obviously just, just brought in her leadership with me, made my job easier. And, uh, she's just such a class woman. And she said after, uh, after like from the, from when she arrived to when she left, thanks to our friends at athlete health first, like she actually felt better at 38 years old and had, and had been retired for two years than she had on Monday. So she played brilliantly as well. So hopefully we get a few more years out of her. And, and what was the name of the team that, that you coached again? 
the Cape Town Wild Dogs. So you got your hometown hero here. I've never been to Cape Town yet, but hopefully I'll, I'll be there at the World Cup uh, this fall with you. That'll be so great, pal. It is so interesting. Are you eating Biltong on that side? You are coaching a Cape Town-based rugby team. And yeah, we still haven't taken you there. So we, we've got to get that organized. Also, I want to say very cheeky of you that your honeymoon with Sam was also blended into a rugby trip. That was very clever and very cunning. <laughs> Well, we were honestly, we were meant to go to Hawaii, but then, uh, then this tens, tens opportunity came up and, and thanks to the rhinos, uh, rhinos group out of San Clemente, California for launching this amazing league and getting these, these global stars from around the world involved. But, uh, yeah, she's, uh, it's not her first rodeo, just like B. So, uh, she was along for the ride. Well, that's brilliant. Massive congratulations from me personally and B as well. And of course, everybody listening, great to hear of that side, Rob's. And then things on my side, we, we weren't as busy in November, but the great thing was there's this new Kiwi company called Spolk and they're doing remote broadcasts. So World Rugby asked me to do uh, four different internationals. Uh, most of the matches actually played in Spain. So it was really cool. So I got a chance to commentate here just from, from my old lounge. Uh, got a chance to do uh, Fiji against Spain, French Barbarians against Tonga, Portugal, Japan, and the Flying Fijians against Georgia. So lots of different names, pronunciation, lots of work, but great fun to be able to stay home and call those can games. Give and us, of course, can you give us yeah. a couple of those names? Gorgatsi. I mean, the, the Georgian names, actually, they look complicated because some of them were written in Russian on the team sheet. But then if you look at the English names, they re- either end in uh, Ashvili or Gorgadze, something like that, you know? So some, it was, it was- I got a fun fact for you. So when I played in Northern France 20 years ago, just to date myself, I had we had four Georgians in our team and they were like our best players. Um, of course, they're on their national team. And I came back after Christmas and I was living with this family in, in Lille in northern France. And I had this the bed, this beautiful bedroom at a four story, like a hundred year old, uh, you know, antique, amazing home. Had my own setup and I come home from Christmas in Canada and there's Georgian boys like in my bed. And so I like... I have a cot. He was supposed to take the cot, but like a good Canadian, I'm like, no, you keep the bed. So anyway, we, we were complete strangers from different parts of the world. And we basically shared this bedroom for six months. And I was pretty hardcore with my training, uh, being a small little worker bee. But we'd go to the gym on Saturdays. We typically play on Sundays. We go to the gym on Saturdays. You know, we take the train together. We go, we work out for two, three hours. We had nothing better to do. We we're like 20. And then we come back and we watch French rugby, Stade Francais and all those guys all day. And then he would hammer out push-ups all day. Now we were in a professional setup. So we would train like five, six days a week. And we just finished the three-hour workout. And this guy would still be hammering push-ups. And I'm like, this guy is so weird. Like, what is he doing? Like, why be a hero? You know, but it was he was the biggest lesson I ever learned. Because two years later, I was at my buddy's house at like four in the morning watching the World Cup. And it was Georgia versus South Africa. And who was starting at Scrum Half? But my roommate my bedmate uh, for that matter. And I was like, there was nothing normal about that guy. And I, I decided from that point on that I, I would never do anything normal and I would never went above and beyond. So every time I was watching a show or doing anything, I just hammer up pushups. So, so people always ask like, why do your students, why do your athletes, why do you always do so many pushups? I'm like, it's because of that guy. And uh, it was always about that extra. So for me, that guy set me on a course on another level and he was, uh, you know, he had a goal, he had a dream and, and he couldn't stop thinking about it. And uh, his dream came true. So that's my, that's my little Georgian fun fact. That's a great Georgian fun fact as well. No, honestly, such a great nation. They really put everything into their rugby, which is really good to see them, you know, building, building towards the big stage. The other cool fact about the Georgian players also looking at their bios, there were currently 57 players playing in France professionally. 56 of them were in the front row. (laughs) Big hard boys. Exactly. And then I want to touch on the HSBC Sevens World Series. Of course, we had back-to-back weekends in Dubai to kick off the 2022 season. 
We didn't go to Cape Town because uh, of COVID and everything else like that. So they did two tournaments in the desert. It was unbelievable. The second weekend, fans were allowed to come in, 80,000 over the two days. Uh, it was such an honor working with the World Rugby Broadcast crew on this one. We had a, we had a couple Englishmen on the call, uh, Rupert Cox, uh, Jack Zora, Johnny Hammond, and then, of course, former England Sevens captain Rob Vickerman, plus Welsh legend Philippa Tatiet, two World Rugby Hall of Famers, American Phaedra Knight, and our very own Canadian Gareth Reese who, of course, has been on the podcast here before, which is great. So that crew was fantastic. Tom Burwell at the uh, Dubai Sevens organization has done absolutely brilliantly. We had an Emirates uh, Boeing fly over the stadium as well to celebrate the return to Sevens. Plus, we had a bunch of great guests on stage as well. We had James Haskell DJing. We had uh, the band Disclosure. We even had Ben Gollings in the house. Uh, he was so elusive. The World Series top point scorer, I couldn't even catch him at that event. We hope to get him uh, pretty soon, pal. Let's switch across to what's coming up on the calendar for you over the rest of December and coming up January as well. Sorry, I just want to go back to my favorite player right now, Marcus Mineta from the Pumas. I called him in the Olympics. Like that guy is like, so what did you think of him last weekend? Oh, he's so fun. So fun. He came for the bench. He knew every time he was going to come to the field, he was going to do something special. And one moment stands out at the restart, knocked back by the opposition. He comes through, he kicks it ahead twice, skillfully dives on it to score. I mean, he is a slippery eel of note. Box office. We got to get him on the show. We got to hold his sanity and line it up. We shall. We shall. I saw Santi, by the way, another one of our great guests as well. It was really cool to be back in the mix and catch up with people in person. He's just obviously such a lovely character and so good. He side, you know, finishing with another bronze medal was brilliant. So coming up next, uh, I've got some opportunities coaching with some national teams coming up. Uh, we'll share in the new year, but uh, really excited. We've just announced that our, our MacDill Rugby Academy, we're actually going to take uh, a girls team and a, and a boys U18 side to LA7. So we'll see you at the LA7s. We'll be at the Vancouver 7s, obviously just supporting the teams. But uh, yeah, just thrilled to, to put our teams forward. Uh, some of our athletes have uh, put their name up that have never had trials. So Erica Kissinger from Texas, uh, actually, we got her got her trial like in between Christmas and New Year. So she, for me, she's the next Alev Kelter. Big words, but having the opportunity to work with Alev a couple months ago, and having to know known Erica for two three years and seeing that girl come through. She's got another year with us yet, but uh, she'll be on display in LA. But most importantly, the U18 camp, and then we've had a number of boys have a look with the U18 Canada camp. So our kids are, are making waves, and then. Uh, Obviously, just getting excited for the Premier Sevens in 2022. I'm sure we'll see you there too, as as well as hopefully some Rugby Tens Championship uh, competitions all over the world. But the Looney's Looney's tattoo is is on the on the cards here now that I got some downtime, so I I haven't forgot about it. And and uh, Owen's uh, Owen Scannell has made sure that we document every every uh, drop of ink that goes into my flash. Okay, hold hold on, because your mom was not a fan. <laughs> I don't think Sam was in for it. So like, so you're leaning now. You're going to do it. 80 percent there. What do you reckon? No, I'm 100% there. 100% I, I, in. I'm a man of my word, man. And plus you told the whole world. So I, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't let this letter relationships do like that. I have to deliver. So that is unbelievable news. Okay. Well, we may have to go live with it. As you said, like an Insta live. We'll do, it, the hive. We'll do okay. it in Vancouver, LA while you're there. Okay. You can go okay. live with it. Okay, good. Okay. So before Vancouver and LA, cool news is we've got the Spain Sevens coming up. So we've got two events happening there. I can't wait to announce that for the uh, HSBC World Rugby Seven Series, Stop Three and Four. Malaga will take place January 21 to 23 in Sevilla, January 28 to the 30th. So that's really cool coming up. And then before that, the Freetail Sevens in Austin, Texas. I'll be heading over there the last week of December with the Misses. It's a New Year event taking place December 30th and 31st. Freetail Sevens, uh, the Bats is their logo. It's going to be fantastic as always, which will be brilliant, you know. Uh, pal, and let's touch on our guest 
coming up here. Andrew Swain, episode 29, the Australian legend, a.k.a. Swaino, the water buffalo. Got a chance to meet Swaino for the first time at the World Rugby Under-20 Championship in 2019, Rosario, Argentina. He's a brilliant man. He's humble. He's kind. He's very funny. He's extremely colorful as well. And the one thing I loved about this episode too was that this was recorded last year. So in 2020, he was talking about you know some of his idols and in the, in the broadcasting world, and Greg Clark, the Australian voice, of course, iconic around the world. But since then, Swano has taken over that lead commentating role, and he's brought to the colourful voice to many of the Wallabies Test matches, took it on the All Blacks, the Springboks in France. So he's been involved in iconic moments this year. So I think it's perfect timing to drop this episode. Yeah, absolutely. He 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 said one of his goals was to actually. Uh, commentate a Wallabies game. He's done some Wallaroos games. So that, that for me, like, I love that a guy that's accomplished so much in, in his, his career uh, has goals and he's achieving them now. It's just fun. And obviously he's just got that Australian flavor. Um, and it was our first carpool karaoke podcast as well. He recorded the whole episode in his car because he's a, it's a house full of kids running around that are just as, as loud and, and fun as him. <laughs> I know that was probably the best thing we need to we capture some screenshots because folks are listening to the podcast won't see it we'll uh, we'll put it up on our socials as well which is great so what's 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 <laughs> happening here <laughs> he's in quarantine in his car right now <laughs> so we want to thank everybody for tuning in listening to the rugby hive we really appreciate all the support from around the globe and um, the rugby hive is brought to you by wintergreen so check out wintergreensport.com get some of the amazing products where you can be just as active or you can you know, recover from injuring yourself sleeping, which is what often we do when we get older as well. Also, you can visit the Rugby Hive store at World Rugby Shop. Check on gilbertrugbycanada.com. They have our new rugby ball and the endurosportofficial.com. You can also read fantastic rugby articles by Karen Gasparino, the Gaz on our website, plus social media content from the English legend Ben Gollings as well will be popping up on our site. So thanks to all the hot steppers at the Rugby Network, home for Rugby North America and for putting our episodes on the rugbynetwork.com. We wish you all the best for happy holidays. Be safe out there. Uh, enjoy time with the family. And uh, of course, keep sharing our Rugby Hive podcast. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Rugby Hive and Instagram at MyRugbyHive, the website rugbyhive.com. And it's time now for season two, episode 29 with Andrew Swain. Well, the guests keep rolling. Swaino, brilliant to have the original buffalo, water buffalo, I should say, on the show. Welcome, Mike Wachaburger. Oh, thank you, Mamili. How's it, boy? <laughs> oh, Swaino, <laughs> you're such a colorful character. Um, it is, uh, again, such a pleasure to have you on. And um, tell us a little bit, though, how things going, man? How are you and the family keeping? Are you multitasking, homeschooling? What's, what's on the crack that side? Oh, look, thanks for having me on, fellas. Really excited to chat to you. And yeah, look, it's been pretty good down here. Um, Australia is in a pretty privileged position. We're a big island, so we can shut the borders and not let anyone in and get on top of the old COVID uh, side of things. So uh, they've just started reopening everything. Um, it's it's going to be slow. But um, yeah, and, and the family's well. I've got two young kids. Um, I was so glad the day that I could send my four-year-old back to preschool. That was the brilliant, that was a great day because um, the poor young fellow was just going stir crazy at home. And then we've got a six month old and she's, she's been pretty good too. So we got, we got in just before uh, the old coronavirus struck with that one. So it's been nice to spend a bit of time with them. Um, and, but also get them back to, or get the young fellow back to school at least. So uh, yeah, it's been, been pretty good. Not too bad. We haven't been, too affected by everything so it's been good yeah you guys have been uh, you know you've done a great job there in australia and i know our friends in new zealand as well which is fantastic i wish i could say the same here in the usa but we'll leave that for another chat um <laughs> yeah absolutely so, so now let's go right back to uh, the days when you were growing up what was that like and where did you grow up and what was life like as a youngster 
Yeah, I was um, I was born in Perth, Western Australia. So I'm the I now live on the east coast. So that's over on the west coast. And yeah, grew up there. Um, I was ten when we moved to Brisbane. And so in Perth, so really, um, it's a it's a it's probably one of the most isolated cities in the world, uh, capital cities in the world. So you you kind of three years, uh, three hours and fifteen years behind everything when you're over there. But uh, AFL is a big, Aussie Rules football is a big, um, the big sport over there. The West Coast Eagles and the Frio Dockers are the big, big teams. And so rugby, up until probably the last 10, 15 years, hasn't really been on the map. So it wasn't there when I was there. Uh, and I had to, I was introduced to rugby when I moved over to, uh, over to Brisbane and, and grew up in I was sort of my formative years in Brisbane, which is a great town. If you've ever been there, it's, uh, you know, Queensland, very relaxed, very laid back. Uh, everyone's, uh, you know, everyone's very friendly up there. Um, Queensland, beautiful one day, perfect the next. They uh, is the tagline, um, and it was a great place to grow up. You know, it was. I just spent a lot of time outdoors. You know, we'd go camping or, uh, out, out, you know, go to the beaches on the Sunshine Coast or the or the Gold Coast, and uh, and you know, I played lots of sport. Just that that was sort of. Uh, I was just addicted to sport as a youngster. So, um, yeah, growing up and, you know, mum and dad always did everything for us. They were, you know, I've got, I've got everything to thank them for. got a brother and a sister as well. Very different people. My dad and I are very much into sport. My parents, uh, sorry, my mum and my sister and brother are very much into the arts side of things. So we're all very different people, which actually made for, you know, really uh, interesting upbringing. So, yeah, that's a bit about myself. You, you kind of got my background in in a nutshell. You talked about uh, being passionate about sports. What sports did you play growing up? Yeah, well, so actually growing up in Perth, um, you know, Aussie Rules was my first kind of uh, sport that I played, but my dad was just mad about cricket and so am I. And I am still, uh, it's still my first passion, my first love, uh, love cricket. And so when we moved to Brisbane, the first place that we moved into was right across the road from a big park and had a cricket pitch in the middle. And I would literally uh, wake up in the morning go out and stand in the middle of the pitch uh, in the middle of the oval with my cricket bat and a ball. And within, you know, 10 minutes, it would normally take a few minutes, but within 10 minutes, all the neighbourhood kids would come and converge and we'd have a big game of cricket. And, you know, if it wasn't out on the pitch, you know, wherever else we lived or whatever, it would be on the street. Cricket was just, I was mad about it. I used to go to sleep with the old, um, there was this shop, the Greg Chapel Cricket Centre, and, uh, and, it had a catalogue that came out every year with all the new gear and I would go to sleep with it and circle everything that I wanted and sleep with my cricket bat and gloves and I was that kid. I was a mad, mad now, cricket. Now, man. listen, were you an all-rounder? Were you a batter? Were you a bowler? What, what was your skill? I preferred to bowl and so I probably started more as a bowler. Um, but as I got older, I, I sort of developed just this, this skill of, like I was, I was hard to get out. I'd leave a lot. I was very patient out there. I was a good night watchman. I wasn't particularly good at anything, really, let's face it. But uh, otherwise, I would have been, you know, a, a better cricketer. But um, I just I just loved it. I just loved spending time out in the middle. You know, I loved to bowl, loved to bat, loved the banter in the field. That's the best thing about cricket, I reckon, was the, the banter. And, yeah, it was, um, uh, it was just my passion. And my brother was actually – my brother, who was a polar opposite, really hated cricket. But I'd make him come out into – the middle and I'd bowl at him and uh, he, he would only ever want to bat. And so I'd be like, now it's my turn to bat. And he'd go, I'm out. See ya. And he'd leave and then we'd have massive barnies. So um, 
but yeah, it, it's uh, and I still love it to this day. I do a bit of production on it um, at Fox Sports occasionally as well, and yeah, it's 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 great. I, I, I love watching the cricket. We don't get much cricket in North America, but we, we, what we do get is a lot of baseball. I grew up playing baseball, and that's, uh, that's, that was my first love too. And same thing, batting ball out on the field for days and uh, swinging for the fence. So that's, uh, that's, that's a cool story. Tell us about, a bit about your rugby after school, and did you, who'd you play for, and, and some of the memories that spring to mind. Yeah, so as I said, I sort of wasn't introduced to rugby till I was probably more a teenager. I played a couple of years juniors, but I actually didn't really play, really, really focus on rugby until I was probably 17, which is a bit later than a lot of people these days. And uh, I, I went to a public school, so rugby, it wasn't a rugby school that I went to. So I went and played at Brothers Rugby Club. This is the cap here, Brothers. And they are still my, um, you know, I actually couldn't ever picture myself playing for another club. I was, I was very passionate about um, playing down there. Went and, and played Colts there and then um, pretty quickly moved into grade uh, and first grade. And uh, I, was, I was just, uh, I didn't play at a top level for a very long time, but I, gee, I enjoyed my time there and I'm still mates with a lot of the guys that I played with. And um, yeah, it was, I, I, I was coached by some really wonderful people. Some, and, and, you know, Brothers has got a wonderful history of Wallabies. Uh, John Eels, who's the, probably arguably the greatest Wallaby. I, I wore that number five jersey at Brothers that he would have worn. And that was a real honour, you know, in that first grade team. You know, it, that, that's probably where my um, sort of top level rugby ends. But then moved to uh, moved to Sydney for work and played for a club down here, a subbies club, a sub districts club, called um, Colleagues. And uh, I actually, I really because I had a bad knee injury, and um, so it took a long time to recover from that. And I, I really enjoyed my time playing subbies rugby. It was just a little bit more relaxed, uh, a bit more about the social side of things. And uh, I actually, I never won anything playing first grade rugby. But we won a Judd Cup, which is the fourth grade subbies competition here in Sydney. And I reckon that is my greatest rugby memory. That, that, was, that day was all time. We, we, we'd, won, we'd run and won our grand final by about 11 o'clock in the morning because that was the, sort of, that was the, the grade of level of rugby that we were playing. And the rest of the day, we spent sitting on the hill watching the other grand finals, drinking beer and punting on the horses. And uh, we'd, all, we'd all had one um, bet on one horse that won that day. The day is just so vivid for winning a rugby grand final, drinking beer and winning on the horses. That's, that's what it's all about for, for me. I loved it. That's absolutely epic. I, I mean, I also love the build-up to that, though. As you said, wearing John Eels' jersey, you know, he played before you. And, I mean, that's, the, that's amazing. We love that story, too. The best part about rugby, I think, for a lot of us is the social element and hanging out. And, and it, you know, it's great if you are able to play at a higher level. But uh, some people said you played a little bit of fly-off as well. Is that true or is that just a rumor? <laughs> oh, you know, a ball-playing lock is probably the, the area that I probably more excelled in. I played story for you. We played against a, a USA team. We played against Jacksonville once down at, um, at Brothers. They came and toured, a touring Jacksonville team, and they played against a Brothers team on a Wednesday night, and I played. And, you know, it, we didn't... It, it was taken semi-seriously, but put it this way, I played on the wing that night. You know, I was six foot five, not particularly athletic, but, uh, you know, could, could 
Chinese. Give us, give us your hundred meter time. Just give us an average hundred meter time. Minutes, <laughs> two minutes. It was pretty close to that, I'd say. <laughs> but we played against Jacksonville, and and so it was a Wednesday night. There wasn't too many people around, and I scored a try. And the rule was, if you scored the try, you had to convert your own try. And I was a terrible kicker, like one of the worst. I could not kick off the tee, still cannot to this day. I hope my son one day learns that skill because it was one that – that's one thing that John Eels could do in that number five jersey that I couldn't do. Lucky I was wearing 14 that night. So scored the try, walking back, and my dad is sitting on the hill just behind me and I can hear him talking to the person next to him. Next to him and he says, oh, watch this. This is going to be funny. He cannot kick to save his life. And and so I'm walking back with a blind in my arm and I didn't want that. I was like, I just waved the tee away. I was like, nah, I'm not even going to try to get off the tee. Drop kicked it from about um, 10 in from the sideline, just past the 22, flushed it down the middle over the black dot. And I've walked back to my dad. I've run, I've turned around to my dad and gone, see you later, son. Yes. Given him one of these ones in the uh, in the face, and he was he was laughing his head off. It was uh, it was a very funny night, but you know those types of memories um, playing rugby against touring teams, and they're the ones that I remember. They're they're the best. Oh, that is a brilliant story. I mean, that does remind <laughs> me of uh, Carlos Spencer, even though he, he you know he did it against I think one of the Aussie teams, scoring in the corner, uh, but purposely running to the far side, putting it down, and then nailing the conversion and giving it to the crowd. You know, he did. Uh, he gave him one of these ones. Yes, too, correct, he? exactly, Sueno <laughs> style, if you will. Yeah. Also, listen, after after high school, what did you get involved with off the field? What sort of th- what sort of studies or things did he go into? Yeah, um, I finished high school uh, in two thousand and one. And I got, a, I got a straight into um, a journalism degree at University of Queensland, who incidentally are um, one of brother's arch rivals, the university team there. So that was a little bit of irony. Didn't really like them at all, those bookworms. But it was, um, got into a journalism degree. And, um, and that's sort of, that, that was uh, very much a, a turning point for me. I, I, once I had my knee injury as well, I, I was, I sort of had to make the choice. I was like, am I going to go and really concentrate on my studies or am I going to get this fixed and try and make a fist of rugby? And I probably chose the piece of the paper uh, from university. That was sort of the choice that I had to make. And, you know, uh, you go back and, and, and think about things in hindsight, but it was, I wouldn't change anything. It was, it was a great decision. And, um, and so doing the, the journalism degree at University of Queensland Great, great fun. Made a lot of great friends as well, and and still played club rugby and um, and yeah, and and whilst I was doing that degree, I also had a part time job working at the local radio station up there, Triple M. You know, driving around their promo trucks, handing out icy cold cans of coke, and doing crosses from random parks and that sort of stuff. And that was a really that was a real eye opener for the, the the business of of media for me. And I probably got more out of that than I did actually studying I reckon that was probably more influential in my career than than doing the the actual degree but you still got to do that I guess Um, you got to do that that get that piece of paper go to university and and do it yes exactly and then how did then you transfer those skills from the radio to being you know on the tv side of it commentary for rugby and stuff well I actually at, at that radio station one of the guys who was on the breakfast show there a guy named Greg Martin I don't know if you've met Marto before Dallin but um he's he's a rugby commentator former wallaby real character 
uh, and he was one of the hosts on the um, breakfast show up there. And he was also working, incidentally, for Fox Sports, commentating uh, on the rugby. This was sort of well before. He'd been doing it since day dot, really. And so I was always in his ear. I was like, Marta, you've got to get me there. You've got to get me down to Fox Sports. And then uh, in 2006, Fox Sports News started, so actual dedicated news channel. Uh, and I just finished my university degree as well. And um, so I was really putting the hammer on, on Marto. Get me down there, mate. Um, get, me, get me a phone call. Get me something. And uh, I, I, there just happened to be an opening. Um, I flew down to Sydney, did an interview for Fox Sports um, News. And I, I got a job working as the guy who put all the, um, all the news on the ticker, writing on the news, all the ticker on the, on, on the bottom of the screen that scrolled along. I got that job and then, uh, and you know, just started working the way into uh, a reporter role, did that for a couple of years and then um, a job came up a couple of years later to work. So uh, Fox Sports News was sort of downstairs in the, in the office that we worked in and then the production floor was upstairs doing the rugby and uh, I got a job up there doing the rugby in 2010, I think it was, and... Yeah, that, then I, I sort of started working on the rugby shows and I've made, I literally have just taken those little opportunities that have presented themselves when they have and, uh, and, and sort of now working, um, still doing production for oh, 10 years later, um, still doing production work on the, on the rugby here in Australia, on super rugby and test matches and, and now also privileged to be able to call a few as well. Can we just go back to that that ticker roll? That's a massive responsibility. I'm just wondering if you ever had any Ron Burgundy ass slip ups in your time. Oh, mate, there's yeah, there's been a few. Like I used to spelling mistakes on that ticker can can really um, they can really go bad. Look, I, I um, yeah, there's been some there's been some serious bad seriously bad slip ups. I've also in that meantime as well, um, one that comes to mind, I've, I've managed to get into the club rugby scene in Sydney, which is quite a big competition, the Shoot Shield. And they, um, we, we always used to be on the ABC, which is the public broadcaster here. And they were for 60 years. And then back in um, oh, a few years ago now, probably five or six years ago now, they went to Channel 7. And Channel 7 needed uh, a commentary team a host and, and a host as well. and um, I'd been doing the club rugby just on a streaming platform. And that's sort of where, where I kind of got my start actually calling. And um, I'll never forget the day that the guy called me, uh, the guy who was the producer, a guy named Simon Fordham said, we want you to host it, the Shoot Shield. And I was like, host it? What do you mean? He was like, yeah, yeah, we want you to host it. You're the only guy who's ever worked in television out of all these guys. So we'll get you to host it and then the rest of them will do it. That, the day that that um that went to air and he's like oh and you're gonna go live too i was like live i'm not gonna pre-record the opener nope nope we're gonna go live and i remember the the red light went on and i was just like i was a bumbling mess it was one of the most horrifying experiences of my television career Particularly after it's such a historic competition, uh, it had been on the ABC for sixty years, and people had, you know, loved it, loved the coverage, and so this was a we were breaking new ground by doing this, and then this bumbling idiot, bald idiot, stands on your television screens and can't string a sentence together. Uh, it was embarrassing, but 
since then, you know, we've, we've taken steps to, to make it better. And, and now it's such a popular product, uh, the Shoot Shield here in Australia. It's arguably the most popular rugby product here in Australia. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it took us a little while, but we got there. And, yeah, there was some seriously bad broadcasting moments in those early days, that's for sure. Well, you always have to go backwards before you go forwards. And, uh, yeah, there's always humility in that. Who are some broadcasters you looked up to in the commentary world, obviously outside of the legendary Dow and Stanford? Yeah, well, the, the Quagga Burger himself. Um, loved, loved doing some, uh, some stuff with Dallin last year. We'll probably get to that shortly. But um, back in the early days, one commentator who was, was you know, known as the voice of rugby in Australia, a guy named Gordon Bray, um, you know, he, his voice is synonymous with that golden era of Australian rugby sort of in the late 90s, early 2000s. And that was when I was just getting into rugby. So he's a guy that I always listened to. You know, he had just such a way with words, such a way of describing people. I think he, you know, famously described a player from New Zealand as the Taranaki pig farmer you know, in commentary and that sort of stuck with people. But then since then, um, you know, I've worked with some of the greatest. Uh, Greg Clark is is the, the lead play-by-play commentator on Fox Sports. He is just uh, one of the great blokes as well you'll ever meet. He, he's, he's certainly been a mentor for me, someone who's um, shown me how to be a professional broadcaster. Uh, and then... One guy who Dallin knows pretty well as well, who is one of my best mates in the world, but is someone who I just look up to and I, I reckon he's one of the best commentators in world rugby, and that's Sean Maloney. Um, just, a, just a great guy. Uh, he he kind of... He, Clark, he's so professional and he's, the, he's the, the, the consummate pro. Sean, he's probably just the consummate uh, entertainer. And so you've kind of got... I'm not saying that Clarky isn't entertaining and that, that Shawnee's not a pro, but you've got those two ends of the spectrum and they're guys that have just influenced me over the years. And also, I just, I'll just i digress a little bit, but um, um, back in the day growing up watching cricket on, in, in Australia, on Australian television, uh, Richie Benno, that, that Channel 9 commentary team that they had, it's probably not something that the US audience is familiar with, but there's... There was just this commentary team that did the cricket back in the day that were, they just had this wonderful dynamic and that sort of influenced me to be able to create a bit of a, a bit of an atmosphere with your co-commentators as well. You know, there's a famous comedian down here in Australia who did a parody of those guys. It's called The Twelfth Man. I, I implore people to listen to The Twelfth Man. I don't know, Dallin, if you ever listened to The Twelfth Man. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, we would copy The Twelfth Man as growing up as <laughs> yeah. youngsters. We could do, like, all the voices, and it was just unbelievable. I can't believe that one guy, it's Billy Birmingham, right? One guy did yeah, it all. Yeah, Billy Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Legend, legend. So I, I worked with Billy um, at Triple M when I, I moved to Sydney, and I was doing some just some part-time work with Triple M while I was working at Fox. And Billy... Uh, was one of the um, one of the panelists on this show that I worked on, and it was just like I just spent the whole time worshiping, worshiping the, the ground that he worked on because he was such a uh, a great comedian, and, and so yeah, that 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 entertainment side of things I think has been a real big influence for me because we're not you know we're not landing planes, we're, we're calling rugby, you know, we're trying to we're trying to entertain people, and that's what it is at the end of the day. 
I couldn't imagine you and Maloney in the same room that uh, I just <laughs> sit back and enjoy, especially if you guys had a couple cold ones on the go. Oh, I sat next to, I've sat next to Sean for, you know, 10 years working at Fox, um, you know, and uh, our desk is just, it's an absolute mess. It was an absolute mess before he, he um, parted ways. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it, we, gee, we had some fun times. We did a documentary together back in 2014 called Call of the Wallaby, which was a bit of a, you know, call to arms for Wallabies fans to get back behind the national team. And that's probably one of my greatest memories of um, working at Fox Sports doing that. It was such a fun time. And you can watch that on YouTube if you ever get a chance. It's, it's, yeah, it's just silly, but it's really fun. And uh, working with Shawnee is just—he's—he's he is one of the—he's a larger-than-life character, one of the great humans. Can you list some of the competitions that you've covered with Fox Sports over the years? Yeah, um, I've done um, so. Super Rugby is probably the the main bread and butter that I've that I've covered with that. NRC, which is the National Rugby Championship, which is sort of the the rung below it's a bit of a competition that gets played at the back end of the year. that's where I cut my teeth really commentating I, I sort of they saw it as a bit of a development competition for not only for the players and the and the coaches but also for the broadcasters so that was where I was really lucky enough to get a lot of play-by-play time under my belt and then I've since done um, super rugby I've done a couple of test matches men's and women's which is you know a huge privilege that's sort of that's the dream. To call a Wallabies test match is my absolute dream. I've done some uh, Wallaroos test matches, which is the women's Australian team, and that's been fantastic as well. Um, Shoot Shield as well. I've done the World World Sevens, World Series Sevens down here in Sydney, which was that was a, a real privilege as well. Got to call an Australian game for that, and uh, men's and women's. Uh, I did the Under Twenties World Championships last year with with yourself, um, Dallin, as well. Um, and then I've also covered doing back reporting days, all sorts of events. Um, you know, golf, big big golf fan. Covered uh, the Australian Open. Uh, interviewed Greg Norman, Adam Scott, those sorts of guys. I've done a lot of um, production for um, supercars as well for the, the the motorsport. Done production for yeah, lots of different sports. Uh, but yeah, rugby's still you know, my favourite to be. There's nothing like being, uh, you know, at the ground when, you know, anthems are playing. The World Cup, you know, 2015 World Cup, being there for the World Cup final and working on the production side of things for that, but seeing the anthem and standing sideline, oh, it's just, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it right now. It's one of the one of the great uh, moments of my career was being there and seeing the, the national anthem when the Wallabies ran out. The pity about the result, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I've been so privileged to, to cover so many great rugby events. And, and yeah, hope, along may it continue. hope so. I hope it continues. Well, we hope so too, uh, Sweno. Now, let's talk about that Argentine trip we had. It was absolutely epic. But tell the, tell the audience listening, what's it like being a broadcaster? Because they know what it's like competing, right? You get there, you've got to train all week, you've got to prepare, you've got to eat right, you do the game and you leave and that sort of thing. But give us the rundown. You're there for three weeks in Argentina. Uh, what does your daily schedule look like and things like that? Yeah, well, it, it was it was certainly a wonderful trip, and um, and such a great experience working with some wonderful people. In terms of preparation, I, I feel like I was really well prepared during that tournament. You know, there was a lot of information coming in, so I, I think 
working on those events, the key is to just know everything inside out. Know, know the players that you're calling, know the referees, know where they've come from, you know, know your co-commentators, know... Uh, you just got to have. You just got to be the the encyclopedia of knowledge that whole time. And so I spent a lot of that time, you know, in the days leading up to match days, preparing and write, writing up my team lists and things like that. As did you, I'm sure, Dallin. But also being in a city like Rosario, where there's a big event happening, you have to make sure that you enjoy yourself as well. And so get get around, see the sights. It's one of the great privileges being on tour being on a rugby tour in particular and uh so you got to make sure you enjoy it and soak it up and i feel like we did that pretty well quagga burger we we certainly did and I, and I want to touch on this part because i thought it was epic we had sean holly on as well the holster and you guys formed a band that would go on uh, across the road from the hotel there was this cool little bar and you guys formed a band there i think it was called the jekyll and hyde and wasn't that an appropriate name Oh, it really was. Jekyll and Hyde, that, that place was fantastic. It was this kind of little, it was a little like sessions bar, I guess, wasn't it? People could kind of get up and play their guitar if they wanted to. Mostly it was the, the young lady who was kind of the manager of the joint. She'd be getting up there and singing. And oh, look, I don't, have a, I don't have a great voice, but she didn't really have a great voice either. And so we'd sit there and listen to this, you know, drinking a, a cold one or whatever, uh, maybe a Malbec or, or maybe a Fernet or maybe um, something else. But it was, um, we'd be sitting there and then and we'd be like, and, and, you know, after a little bit of Dutch courage, Sean was like, get up there, Swaino. And, and I'd be like, okay. And, and so we'd get up and we'd sing a couple of songs and uh, it became a, uh, a little bit of a, a tradition, didn't it? To, um, you know, a, day, a couple of days out from the match day, let's go over a drink and a meal and um and go and have a sing song as well and sean holly what an entertainer that bloke is like he is unbelievable he, he can sing he can play guitar he can he's a, he's a wonderful rugby analyst uh the bloke's got it all uh, he can auction things off he did a live auction for us just just picked up a trophy he had in his uh while he was on the podcast with us and it was unbelievable i mean the guy many talents <laughs> Uh, but I will say you, you two together was just a perfect team as well. Even on the, on, on the games, of course, you guys had the chemistry to go with it. Yeah, and look, we were privileged enough to, to do the, um, the final as well. Australia made the final, so I think that, was, that had a bit to do with it. But, um, you know, we were privileged to do the final. And uh, it was, it, we, we, we did strike up a bit of a, a, bit of a combination uh, after doing a few games. And, yeah, it was, it was such a great experience. But equally... Um, off the field, like equally just being around the hotel, you know, hanging out with yourself, with, um, with Carl Tanana, KT, one of the great guys. I, I think he was on um, this podcast as well. I think he's been on this show. So I did have a listen to that. You know, great guy. Um, you know, Willie Lose, big win. You know, there was just some real characters and everyone had their, you know, everyone had their little little quirks and, and um, but it was, you know, I thought we were a great team and um, it was a great couple of weeks there in Argentina. I wish we, you know, I wish we could have stayed longer. hundred percent. I also, you know, obviously things shut down. was really looking forward to, you know, if we got the call up for this, you know, under 20 championship in Italy this, this year, because again, food and the drinks will go down pretty well, you know? Um, oh, mate. Imagine, imagine the food and drink there, the wine and the pizza and pasta. You know what we'd probably, you guys were pretty good at training. I, that was one thing that I wasn't, very good at in the days between match days, I was, I'd probably, 
I was better off. To, I'd just go for a walk or whatever. You blokes were training the house down. I've never seen such fit human beings. Well, um, well we, we don't call you the water buffalo for nothing, you know. Just to... <laughs> <laughs> now, listen. Right, absolutely. I, I want to go back to um, you spoke about being on, on TV live and doing that. And there's, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong and there's some things that do go wrong, you know. Um, uh, in the production, some here in, in North America, we've had some real botch, botch ups and some funny ones you can laugh about now. Are there any other kind of like behind the scenes mess ups or, or even ones that the audience may not have known? Like if you've had to call the highlights, but the screen was black and you couldn't see anything. Anything that comes to mind from a production point of view there? Well, mate, like all those things have gone wrong when I've, when I've been calling i've been caught with hot mics as well and lucky like lucky that's the worst thing i reckon when you feel like you're talking to someone privately and the whole world can hear and you can really get caught out there which is and i know i haven't you know thankfully i haven't said anything bad about anyone or whatever it's just not in in my nature but that's the sort of stuff that that has gone wrong for me uh, that that one that i described earlier where the light went on and i just I melted down and became a puddle of water on on the footy field. That that's the one moment in my career that I just look back and I, you know, you know when you feel this big, that's that's the moment. But yeah, look, black screens. I um, I remember calling um, a game once from the sideline in just sideways rain, and, and you know, like it didn't bother me at the time, but you know, I, I sounded like I was actually in a pool of water as well when I was when I was calling that from the sideline. Uh, that sort of stuff. All those things have gone wrong. But the, the beauty of live television is that it just keeps going. So you just got to keep going. And, um, and, you know, all those little things that go wrong over the, over the course of the time, you know, you, you become a better broadcaster because of that. And, yeah, I, I feel like... Um, all those things have made me a better, better broadcaster, better human being as well. Just rolling with the punches. You're a lead commentator doing the play-by-play live action. How would you describe your commentary style? Uh, yeah, look, I, um, I, I feel like actually I've tried to kind of, I've tried to make myself because I've got Clarky, who's very professional, um, you know, so well researched. And then you've got Sean, who's the consummate entertainer. I've tried to find a little spot in the middle of those two guys. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, I feel like I, I, um, I've got the excitement level of, of Sean Maloney and the, and the, and the research of, of Greg Clark. Not, not that those two guys... You know, it's it's a very blurred line, but I, I sort of try to position myself a little bit in the middle of those guys. So, look, I, I, I do love to have fun with it, and I look listening to Dallin uh, and his and your one-liners, mate. Like they are, they are just they're iconic, um, and I'd love to have more of those if I could. But just coming up with them on the spot, it just doesn't come to me sometimes. But you know, I, I just I like to make sure that the audience. Uh, they're well informed. They're well well uh, informed, and they've got all the correct information coming at them. But also, you know, as I said before, we're not landing planes. We're not. It's not NASA. We're we're trying to entertain, and we're trying to talk about rugby. So that's that's where I that's where I would um, sit myself. I'd try to be a bit entertaining as well. Love it. And and just in, in regards to educating the audience, we have a we obviously the rugby hive, we've got a global rugby audience. Can you explain the rugby popularity Australia compared to other sports across the country? 
Yeah, it, rugby is look. It's a popular sport still. Uh, it's had its real dramas down here. Uh, I'm not going to lie about that. But we're in a really crowded winter sports market down here. We've got Australian rules football, which is probably the most popular sport in Australia. Most popular football code. Uh, you know, they regularly get ninety thousand to the MCG, the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Um, on a Friday night for a, a round six match, you know. And then you've got the NRL, which is a hugely popular television sport. And, you know, they still get decent crowds as well for the big games, but their crowds aren't, aren't huge. And then you've got football, which is on pretty well the same time, so soccer. And then, and then you've got rugby. And rugby has probably lagged behind those other, those other codes, uh, particularly AFL and NRL, for quite a few years. So it's a real challenge at the moment to capture the imagination and, and be able to get some cut through in the market, you know, getting pages on the, on the daily newspapers is, is difficult when you've got nine pages of NRL in Sydney or 10 pages of AFL in Melbourne before you get to another sport. So yeah, it's, it's certainly got its challenges, but there's been a real resurgence of grassroots rugby, club rugby. So the Shoot Shield that I was speaking about before, when it went to Channel 7 and when we started calling on it, I'm not going to say that we're responsible for it, but it started to just have a bit of a, uh, a spike in interest. And I think people, you know, instead of going to a Waratahs game in an empty stadium, which is seats 40,000 people and there's only 10,000 people there, People would rather, and it costs 30 bucks to get in and 10 bucks for a beer. People would rather go to their local ground at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. They pay 10 bucks to get in. It, uh, they, they, there's no lineup for a beer. Um, their kids can come along for free, can run on the field at halftime, can kick the ball around. I think that, that engagement at a community level is where rugby is still so popular. And it's, I think it's a real opportunity for rugby as well. Um, we saw a couple of Waratahs games go back to smaller fields because uh, their home ground's being knocked down and rebuilt at the moment. And, and I actually, actually really got a, a good following. Like they, got, they got some good crowds there. And I think people are just more community-minded down here when it comes to rugby union. And so going to a club game is such a, a more appealing prospect at the moment. So I think that's where the sport's at. And they really need to focus on that and harness it and start building on that. It's, it's forever. It's been a, um, a sort of a, an inverted pyramid. Um, you, you've got the Wallabies up the top and everything. All the success of the Wallabies trickles down. I think they need to build that base now and build up to the Wallabies. I think that's where the sport's at at the moment, a real crossroads. Yeah, you make some good points as well. Um, we've seen in Super Rugby that some of the crowds all over, you're not just in Australia, but all over, uh, you know, uh, smaller tenor games in these huge stadiums, which is tricky. So w- what do you think the future holds for rugby in Australia, particularly now it being a pretty difficult time financially as well? Yeah, it's, it's, at, a real, it's at a really tricky moment in time, rugby at the moment. You know, they're, they're still negotiating a broadcast deal for next year um, as it stands rugby professional rugby in australia it, you know i'm not going to say it may not exist because it'll always exist but it, you know next year there there is no there is no broadcast deal that's where all the money comes from so they're going to have to start thinking differently i think you know the the big teams uh, the rugby australia uh, how they uh, supplement that income if a big broadcast deal doesn't come along you know i think if one thing uh, the coronavirus has done is it shut everything down 
and it's made everyone sit and think about how we can come out of this stronger. So that might be a you know a little silver lining for rugby in Australia at the moment. Um, they've just had to they've rolled a lot of their board members uh, have, have changed at, at, a, at a very high level. Got a new CEO at Rugby Australia, a new chairman who comes from a broadcasting and marketing background, has worked for News Corp. So I think that's a really positive thing. They just need to work on how they engage a captive audience again i think that's the biggest challenge for rugby here uh, in such a crowded sports marketplace let's talk about um one of the star programs out of australia the women's seven side olympic champions in 2016 of course a remarkable achievement with new zealand's dominance in the game what do you attribute that success and and do you think it's propelled the next generation of young female players yeah, women's rugby is a real strong point here in Australia and, and, and largely due to the success of that 2016 Rio Olympic gold medal for the women's sevens side. That was a brilliant, brilliant team. You know, coached brilliantly by Tim Walsh, who's a, a wonderful rugby coach. He's now in charge of the men's team. And he did, he did a really uh, good job at identifying talent outside of rugby. So, a lot of a lot of those players, a lot of those um, gold medalists, had didn't have a rugby background before they came into the program. You know, women like Emily Cherry, who came from touch football. Charlotte Caslick came from touch football. Chloe Dalton was a basketballer, and he managed to identify these these women at a, at an early time uh, and bring them into uh, a rugby program. Targeting they 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 basically targeted that tournament that olympic gold medal what that success has done as well as is, is, is it's completely inspired a new generation of women as you said you know the the super w is now a um the super w is now a very uh popular competition down here it's basically mirrors the men's competition uh, uh, the men's australian teams it's started it's 15 so it's not sevens but um it's started to uh, improve every year it's probably been around for four years now and it's improved every year um, and there's a lot of young young girls I'm talking you know 18 19 we saw a 16 year old girl play for WA a couple of years ago and scored six tries on debut there, there is a real opportunity and Rugby Australia recognise that there's a real opportunity to engage women's rugby and bring it up to a level where it's on par with men's rugby and I think uh, they're really trying to do that. I, I don't know about you guys, but where there's a, a lot of girls, a lot of guys tend to gravitate there as well. So I think that's part of the, the marketing campaign of Rugby Australia. Let's get the girls involved and the guys will go too. And, and so, yeah, I, I think, but it, it's largely down to the success of that women's sevens team. Gee, they, they were inspirational at the time. I remember shedding a tear when they won that gold medal. It was awesome. And, you know, they've all become really wonderful ambassadors for the sport post 2016. I got a I got a question for you. Where does Australia, both men and women, produce all the all these fast athletes? Because I remember when Dal and I were on the World Series, Australia at that time, I think their core was maybe three, four guys, and then they'd bring in a whole new batch from tournament to tournament, not even like two stop to two stop. And every single time the guys would get off the plane in their in their yellow jumpers and they would run circles around us. Yet we didn't have one guy that was fast. So what's what's in the water down under? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know what, I think um, our 
upbringing just from just from being outdoors all the time as kids here in Australia. Um, you know, we've got a very much a culture of, you know, you, you've got to get out of the house. The weather's perfect all the time. It's beautiful all the time. It never gets too cold down here. So you're always outdoors. You're always playing some sort of sport. Athletics is a big a big focus at, at all of our schools and, and you know, every, everyone loves uh, just to run. And so I think I feel like um, that's a big part of it. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a real focus on getting kids outdoors. You know, when you're outdoors, what do you do? You run. So, um, yeah, there, there is some serious gas down here. You know, we've got a good history of Olympic sprinters and uh, athletes at track and field. It's got a, you know, Australia's got a rich history of track and field, you know, athletes doing very well. So I feel like that's a part of it. And, you know, we've, we've got one guy who is a former sprinter playing for the Australian Sevens team at the moment, Trey Williams, Quadzilla, they call him. He's arguably the fastest guy in world rugby. That yes, arguably, seen. but but he definitely has the biggest quads. I mean, the camera yes, work yes. is brilliant. Going onto the, I don't know how he gets the shorts on. It's amazing, mate. He must get someone to stitch them on afterwards because, like, they are huge. Those quads. I'd love to see a showdown between him and Carlin, and I know that Carlin would love to do that as well. I'm sure. I watched. Uh, I, Carlin was Instagram live today while I was having breakfast, and he was talking to some global sprinter coach and he told this lady he referred to himself as uh he said he's faster than than jesus he could beat jesus in a race that's <laughs> did he say that yeah then he started to laugh oh. and the lady said well you can't actually say that and he goes he goes yeah sorry but actually i would beat him <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant so that's, that's you know what i love that i love that i love that personality I love someone saying someone who backs themselves and I did I did not um, love picking my Cheerio, Cheerios off my computer though. <laughs> did, you, did it startle you a bit? Yeah, it was it was pretty uh, did he just say that and then he repeated himself. Now just going back to what you said about a lot of the athletes in that that gold medal women's team, those crossover athletes and and for us with Canada if you look at a lot of the the women we finished had a bronze in 2016 with our women a lot of those girls are, are crossover athletes and definitely more. My my role with Rugby Canada, one of my roles right now is doing talent ID for our Olympic program. So I, I spent a good part of the winter flying in and out of these these god-awful, I shouldn't say god-awful, it was god-awful <laughs> time of year to fly into some of these places across Canada. On the West Coast, it's pretty uh, pretty mild on the ocean, but, uh, you know, we got some minus 40, minus 30, and a lot of, di- a lot of our diamonds are in the rough. Uh, small town, hockey players, basketball players, football players, but the majority of our top athletes are, are in hockey. So we're starting to, to, to slowly engage those athletes at a, at, at a, at a greater level. And then uh, one of the banks in Canada, RBC, they partner with Olympic Canada. And so they, they fly all the, the NSOs, national sport organizations to these Olympic testing events. And so you have the rowing coach, the ski coach, the hockey coach, the rugby coach, all these different coaches, and we basically just fight over the athletes or an opportunity for us to, to test and, and, and approach the ones that we feel would be good, good athletes. But the, the, the interesting thing about it is they, don't, they miss that rugby culture. Like I was loving your stories about your time sitting on the hill, having a pint, singing a song, you know, the touring sides coming over when you're developing. That's just one piece, though, that, that I was thankful. And, and, and all, you know, we're all around the same age. We, we had all those experiences. And then, of course, got to experience the international lifestyle as well. But uh, just hope we don't lose that rugby culture. 
Uh, that's a really good point you make, Robin, as well, because I think that that is uh, one of the biggest selling points for rugby. It's that it's that off-field culture, and and I feel like the prof- that professionalism has diluted that a little bit, and, and particularly here in Australia. And, you know, you've got guys at the moment fighting over contracts and pay disputes and stuff like that. Like, that's not, that's not who we are. It's not rugby uh, in Australia. And so it, it doesn't sit well with the rugby-loving public who are around our age, you know. And I'm, I'm with you. I hope that we don't lose that, that culture with a lot of crossover athletes. I feel like that it, there's a big responsibility on... Um, on the coaches uh, and the, the mentors in, in, at, in those professional sites to keep that going. You know, there, there are some wonderful characters. I mean, Stephen Hoyles, for example, is one of the assistant coaches of the men's sevens team at the moment. He's one of the great characters. I've been lucky enough to call a lot with, with Hoylesy, um and he's one of the great characters. And I know that he would never let that culture element um, slip. In, in his uh, in the sevens team, uh, and I've heard some stories about that as well. It's you know it's great, but I feel like that there's a big responsibility on on uh, on the coaches, mentors, the the way an organisation is put together to instill that in the in the culture of um, of these organisations because professionalism hasn't been kind to rugby culture. I don't think. Yeah, you're spot on with that. You know, you need the custodians to kind of keep that going forward. Uh, last couple of questions for you, my, my friend. Um, let's talk about the Sydney Sevens. Were you at that event this year? You were calling it, right? No, I was actually... Um, were you I in the crowd calling it? I heard, I heard you somewhere. <laughs> well, I did last year. So I did um, yes. 2019. I did the Sydney Sevens, which was just, you know, it was a wonderful uh, event. Very exciting to be a part of. It was a, it was a big highlight in my career, being able to call on the World Series. And... Uh, this year, though, I, it happened to coincide with the first round of Super Rugby. So I was sent to, I was actually in Japan calling the Sunwolves v Rebels when the Sydney Sevens was on. But last year, it was in Homebush, which is like the Olympic precinct uh, where they had the Sydney Olympics back in 2000. Uh, that was fantastic. It was a great atmosphere. Um, we've got a lot of Fijian fans in Sydney's West. There's a lot of Fijian fans everywhere, let's face it. But uh, it was a particularly big group of Fijian fans at, at Homebush last year. And then they, they were again there this year at the new Bankwest Stadium, which is where they played the uh, the tournament this year, purpose-built for, for football, for, for NRL and rugby and, and for soccer. Uh, this stadium was brilliant stadium. And, uh, and so, yeah, great atmosphere. Uh, it's a great event. They've really built it up. I, I don't know. I feel like the last couple of years they – I reckon, well, I reckon next year, it wouldn't be a bad thing if they moved it away from Sydney. I feel like if you keep it fresh, you keep it, um, maybe, go, maybe go to Brisbane, maybe go to Suncorp Stadium next year uh, and just keep it fresh, keep the, the vibes and the crowds coming. You know, I feel like sometimes they outstay their welcome a little bit in some towns. People get a bit used to it being there. The first year it was in Sydney all time, like one of the great, great tournaments uh, and Australia actually won a couple of years ago when it was still at Allianz Stadium as well, uh, men's and women's tournament. Uh, I think that was 2018 maybe, 2017, 2018, but oh, brilliant. You know, Sevens is such a fun carnival atmosphere and I hope that they can um, keep, keep that vibe. That's one place where that fun element of off-field rugby culture is still alive and well is in sevens that's for sure 
So just going back to 2018 when uh, the men and women both won, and I need I got two two experts on the line here. What record did the women break? Did they did they not allow a try? It was something something crazy about. Uh, I, obviously, they went undefeated, but their defense, um, there was an expert view about it after. But I feel like they didn't allow a try or it was a record amount of not. Yes, they, no didn't, they didn't concede any points the whole tournament. Uh, they didn't concede a point the whole yeah. tournament. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Mic drop. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was one of the, it was just one of the most remarkable performances you'd seen from a, um, a sevens team. And that was, they were right up there. At that, at that point, they, they, they'd won the gold medal and then there was a little bit of a dip, a bit of a post-gold medal dip in performance. And then, you know, because it's in January as well, it's hot, start of the year. They'd really worked hard to, to get, um, and targeted that tournament to, to really peak. And, oh, wonderful performance. Unreal couple of days, that one. Uh, the party afterwards was all time, all time. I bet it was. There's one thing you guys know how to do. It's party that side. So let's let's finish off with the men's seven, the Aussie men's seven side. Uh, they've had some some brilliant tournament wins over the years. Some great players come through. I remember being rounded like a parked car by James O'Connor. He scored three tries. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, first game he was 17 years old. 17. He rounded us like parked car. Scored three tries in that game, and everyone's like, "Who is this guy?" He became obviously uh, the great James O'Connor. The Honey Badger played against him, and he was chirping us as he was going. So there's been some good characters. But tell us a bit about the men's game. Is is sevens very popular for them that side? When do you think a series series title could be on the line for the uh, the the green and gold? Yeah, look, I think um, 15s has always just been more popular here in Australia. Uh, sevens has always been more, they've, it's always treated it more as a development pathway rather than an actual destination. Uh, and I feel like that's changed over the, since the Olympics uh, have come in. It's now been a destination for, for players. It's been a place where they can go and make a career of rugby. I always feel like the Australian team have just been one or two players short of a really good squad. You know, they've got, They've got five guys on the field who are awesome and they've got two guys on the field who, you know, aren't at the level that they need to be to be that competitive team. Having said that, I feel like the last couple of years, they've been there or thereabouts. They've really been close to, to, to cracking it and just haven't. And I feel like even now, I just feel like they were, they were so close to, to cracking being a really good squad in the last six months. Um, you know, Tim Walsh had started to to just get a bit of momentum. Hoylesey's doing a really good job as an assistant coach. They they brought in, they had a really cast the uh, net really wide. You know, they had a lot of contracted players and they were just sort of cherry picking, trying to find their, their best combination. And I feel like they were really close to it. And then coronavirus hit and that's kind of stopped all that momentum. But yeah, I, I feel like Australian sevens, men's sevens, they've just been short of one or two world-class players when they've needed to have them. I don't know if you guys would agree. You, you, you've obviously seen a lot of it as well uh, and seen a lot of them on the World Series. They've got all this potential. And they also they just, they just also really struggle on day two. I feel like they, they that first game of day two, which everyone does, it's the hardest game to play uh, in a sevens game. But Australia in particular have just always tripped up at that moment it's not a rule it's an exception but it, it certainly um it certainly has been the case for the Aussie team I don't know if you guys would agree with that 
Yeah, absolutely, Swana. You're spot on with that. And that's why the series has eluded them. They can win one of tournaments. But again, you keep, to keep that consistency over eight to 10 tournaments is extremely difficult. And that's why only a handful of sides have been able to do that. But listen, my man, I know you're about to... Uh, you're about to blow up there. You're inside your car. This is our very first uh, <laughs> podcast uh, carpool one going here from Australia. So we'll send you some air conditioning package in the mail. <laughs> so it's been an absolute pleasure getting your expert view and uh, really such a joy to have you on the Rugby Hive. Oh, fellas, so, thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, look, I, I appreciate you having me on and, um, and, and chatting. And it's, it's great to hear your blokes' insights as well. Um, keep it up. You know, we love it down here in Oz. And yeah, I'm going to turn up some Guns and Roses or something in the car and go for, for, a, uh, for a spin. Absolutely. Hey, man, I love the content that's coming out of the Stanford household. <laughs> your, wife's, your wife's hilarious. She's she is. Funny. And she can drink. She can really hold her own. I'll tell you what. <laughs> they need their own reality show. I'm, I'm into it. I've subscribed. Absolutely. I'd be right up for that. Chuck it on Netflix. Let's do it. There we go. <laughs> loving it. Loving it. Pal, listen, be safe that side. Enjoy your family. And again, thank you so much for your time, my buddy. Yeah, boys. Thanks so much for having me. I'll chat to you soon. I really nice meeting you, Robin. You too. Best wishes. Take care. All the Cheers best, guys. Up. Also, never stops talking, does Peronado, but I suppose that's the job of a scrum off. Set! He feeds. Five out from the own line. Satutu picks up, finds Jordan. Jordan skins one. Back to Hoskins Satutu. Here comes Peronado. Back of the inside. Barrett! Oh, not even Wes Craven could have directed that. It's frightening from the All Blacks. And Bowden Barrett gets a popular try in D.C. Thank you for listening, you sleek sensations. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Rugby Hive Podcast and catch us on all the socials at Rugby Hive. We appreciate your support. Be safe out there and we'll see you soon. Bye.